Coming up this season on DNA ID, a couple shot at a campground, a realtor waylaid at a home showing, a bookstore owner stabbed among her volumes, a young soldier dumped in a parking lot. What do all these tragic cases have in common? They are all cold cases solved after decades of frustration and futility by forensic genealogy. I'm Jess Betancourt, and in Season 2 of DNA ID, I'll bring you 24 more fascinating cases in which the killer eluded generations of investigators until science and some crafty genealogists cracked them at long last. Listen to DNA ID on your favorite podcast platform. New episodes drop every other Monday, starting January 10th, 2022. You're listening to The Murder in My Family, brought to you by Abjack Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including Missing Persons, DNA ID, Beyond Bizarre True Crime, Zodiac Speaking, Scene of the Crime, Three Men and a Mystery, and All Things Crime. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the podcast, its host, or sponsors. If you would like to discuss the murder in your family on this podcast, please be sure to visit themurderinmyfamily.com for more information. You can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder in my family. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. I'm your host, Mike Morford. In this episode, we'll be discussing the tragic and violent murder of a beloved granddaughter alongside her friend in a hell of gunfire that's left both police and a heartbroken grandmother searching for answers. We'll dive into this case after some quick housekeeping. Independent podcasts like this one depend on word of mouth to bring in new listeners. So if you find that you enjoy this show, Please take a minute to rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcast, and be sure to introduce a friend to the show and invite them to listen. With your help, The Murder of My Family can continue to grow and reach a new audience. To learn more about the show or the cases we discuss, please visit themurderofmyfamily.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the handle at MurderMyFam, or by searching for The Murder of My Family podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support this show through a Patreon donation, it's always appreciated. And you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder of my family. Benefits of supporting the show on Patreon include early access to ad-free episodes of the show, plus bonus content not heard in regular episodes. Support may also include thank you cards, stickers, and more. If you prefer to, you can also support the show through a PayPal donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash the murder of my family. In each episode, I'll give shout-outs to any new supporters. And thank you to all the supporters that generously donate to help keep the show growing and improving. One last note. Please consider supporting any of the sponsors that you hear on The Murder of My Family, the way that those sponsors support the show. 
It's with our sponsor's support that the show can go on and continue to provide a platform to share these stories with you in every episode. Thank you. And now on with the show. On Friday, April 26, 2019, Francis No, a Kentucky grandmother, received a call that no grandparent ever wants to receive. The Fayette County Coroner's Office was informing her that she had outlived her granddaughter, 28-year-old Heather Grigsby. It wasn't an accident that had taken Heather's life, nor was it an illness. Heather was gunned down alongside a male friend of hers, and Francis wants to know who did it and why. Heather Danielle Grigsby was born in Florence, Alabama on December 15, 1990, to Christopher Grigsby and Terry Brewer. Heather, whose nickname was Brooklyn, has been described as full of life, a wonderful sister and aunt who loved to sing and dance. She and her grandmother, Frances, loved to do arts and crafts together. Frances had raised Heather from a very young age, and the two were very close. Heather received her GED after dropping out of high school. Frances recalls how much children were drawn to Heather, and they loved her, and it was Heather's dream to get married and have kids. But sadly, she would never get the chance to. Frances had last spoken to her granddaughter just two days earlier on Wednesday, April 24th. As far as she can remember, Heather sounded fine, upbeat, and said she was hanging out with a friend. To this day, Frances regrets not asking who she was with or where. Heather had been discovered dead in a car on Lexington, Kentucky's East End, along with a male friend of hers, 44-year-old Shannon Goodwin. This neighborhood was a mostly residential area, sandwiched between several different churches and elementary schools. From descriptions of the area, this wasn't the best of neighborhoods. Both Heather and Shannon weren't living in Lexington at the time. Heather was from Nicholasville, about 25 minutes south of Lexington, and Shannon was from Jeffersonville, about an hour's drive east. By the time Francis received the call, the news of two bodies found in the east end of Lexington had already been reported, but at the time, the two were unidentified. Family members have no idea why Heather and Shannon were parked at that location on the corner where Goodlow Street and Ray Street meet. As I mentioned, it's an area known to be high in crime, but Heather and Shannon's deaths, two of Lexington's 30 murders in 2019, didn't seem random, according to Lexington Police Detective Tim Moore, who said publicly, it seemed especially violent toward them. It seemed personal. It's unclear what exactly led investigators to believe this wasn't a random robbery or a case of mistaken identity, or even just a random shooting. The East End is generally thought of as a place of crime, and it's a place where residents typically don't come forward with information related to those crimes. CommunityCrimeMap.com shows multiple burglaries, car thefts, and assaults in the immediate area, with very heavy crime just to the north. News of Heather being killed alongside Shannon was surprising, as Heather's family had no idea who Shannon was. Heather had never told her family about Shannon Goodwin, and Shannon's family had never heard of Heather either. There was no indication that Shannon was involved in any activity that would have placed the two of them on that street that night in danger. Both families are at a loss as to what happened and why. Heather had a history of dating guys who were up to no good, and they often didn't treat her well. Police looked into the men that Heather had dated and looked for anyone close to her, or anyone close to Shannon, who may have had a motive to kill the pair, but no leads panned out. They wondered if it was possible that one of the two was the intended victim, and the other collateral damage. 
The tip did come in, but the suspects weren't close to the victims, and there wasn't enough information for a warrant. The identity of the suspect or suspects has never been revealed, and police are waiting for the information they need to move forward. On the night of the murders, April 25th, it was cold and raining all night. People were inside their homes. Residents in the area did call police after hearing gunfire. Both Heather and Shannon were shot multiple times. Police arrived at the scene around 3.45 a.m. When they arrived, Heather and Shannon had already passed away. According to the Facebook page Justice for Heather Danielle Grigsby, which is run by her grandmother, Frances, several bullet casings were found and recovered at the scene. But it rained so hard that night that other evidence may have been washed away by the rain. It's unclear whether the car they were driving belonged to Shannon, but in early reports, there were indication there were no plates on the vehicle. Some people speculated that Heather and Shannon had taken this vehicle there to that area to buy drugs and were killed in a drug deal gone bad, but there were no drugs found in the car. Police believe that this wasn't the reason for these murders, and there wasn't any evidence supporting that being the case. Since the murders, police are surprised that there aren't more rumors going around or talk in the streets about who committed these murders. Then again, there's always fear of retaliation from those responsible that keeps witnesses from coming forward and sharing information that they might have. But police are hopeful that enough time has passed that someone might be willing to talk. Heather's friend Shannon Ray Goodwin was a self-employed mechanic, born on June 29, 1974 in Lexington, Kentucky. Guest book entries on his online obituary call him polite and helpful, but there's not much else known about him. Almost three years after the murders, it appears that police are no closer to identifying the person or persons who pulled the trigger. But one tip can make a difference. If you know anything about the murders of Heather Grigsby and Shannon Goodwin, you're encouraged to contact the Lexington Police at 859-258-3600 or the Bluegrass Crime Stoppers, who can take your anonymous tip via phone at 859-253-2020. Frances Snow has had to deal with the tragedy of losing her granddaughter, but also a lack of answers and even communication from the police department that's supposed to be helping her. Frances sat down to discuss Heather's senseless murder with me and the aftermath. That conversation is coming up in just a moment. After a long day, I just want to curl up on the couch and get lost in a gripping story with characters that I can love and hate. Is that too much to ask? Nope. Thanks to Sundance Now, I always have something to watch that's binge-worthy and that I can be obsessed with. Sundance Now is an ad-free streaming network created by AMC Networks for people who obsess over riveting storytelling and fresh perspectives. Sundance Now has original prestige dramas, international thrillers, and bone-chilling true crime shows. Every show is a sleek production with sexy lead characters. They've got shows like the hit British series, A Discovery of Witches. It's the perfect mix of period drama, romance, and edge-of-your-seat thriller. Seasons 1 and 2 are streaming now, and Season 3, the final season, just began streaming on January 8th. I recently watched The Discovery of Witches. With a fantastic cast and well-written episodes, A Discovery of Witches is a fantastic show blending mystery, fantasy, vampires, and a host of strange creatures. If you're a fan of this genre, you'll find yourself captivated by the storytelling. And best of all, you have all three seasons to binge on. You can stream Sundance Now on all your favorite devices for as low as $4.99 a month. 
Just download the app or watch online and discover exclusive shows from around the world instantly. I found my next TV obsession on Sundance Now, and you will too. And I have great news. Listeners of The Murder of My Family can try Sundance Now free for 30 days by going to SundanceNow.com and use promo code MURDERINMYFAMILY. That's SundanceNow.com, code MURDERINMYFAMILY for 30 days of free streaming. SundanceNow.com, code MURDERINMYFAMILY. In the era of one of the most heinous serial killers of all time, one murderous crew went curiously unnoticed. The McCrary's committed countless abductions, murders, robberies, and created general mayhem everywhere they went. Families Who Kill the Donut Shop Murders is a true crime miniseries that follows a family who banded together to terrorize small-town America, embarking on a brutal crime spree that captivated the nation. Led by the criminal duo of Sherman and his son-in-law Carl, this disturbed family targeted people working night shifts in donut shops. In the Donut Shop Murders, you'll hear the details of their story for the first time from one of the McCrary's and the detective who tracked them across the country as they left death and destruction in their wake. What I like about the Donut Shop Murders is that the story sucks you in and makes you feel like you're there with the McCrary's as they commit one shocking crime after another. If you're drawn to excellent storytelling, you'll love the Donut Shop Murders. It's binge-worthy. Follow Families Who Kill the Donut Shop Murders on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can binge all six episodes ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Hi, Francis, and thanks for coming on The Murder of My Family to discuss your granddaughter, Heather Grigsby's case with us today. Thank you. Glad uh, to be doing it. Yeah, and uh, it's it's obviously something that's been important to you to try and get justice for her and, and uh, an ordeal, no, met, no uh, doubt yeah. about it for your family. Um, I, I guess I want to say, say first off that as parents, we want our kids to outlive us and I'm sure the same is true of a grandparent um, yes. like yourself. You, you want your grandchildren to have a, a rich and full life and, and you never want them to, to be gone before you. Uh, in Heather's case, her life ended far too young. She was just 28. And it's not as if Heather died from an illness or disease or something, but she was gunned down violently. How hard has it been for you to cope with not only losing your granddaughter, but knowing that she met that kind of uh, violent end? Well, there's not a day that, that, that goes by that I don't try to seek justice for Heather. Uh, she was also killed with a friend of hers. His name was Shannon. And um, they were sitting in the car and uh, when they were killed. So, I'm, I didn't know the Shannon, but Heather, I got custody of Heather whenever she was two years old. So I raised her and um, it's not only paying for a funeral that I couldn't afford, but just living with not seeing her, not talking to her, uh, because she and I had a very close bond and if something went wrong and she wasn't here, I, she would call me and I would always go to her wherever she was at and bring her home. And um, it's, there's been a lot, a lot, a lot of tears shed. Uh, I go to her grave, which she's buried here in Nicholasville, Kentucky, and I go to her grave a lot and I decorate it for all holidays. 
and try to take care of it the best I can. Um, she, it's just something that I never would imagine that would happen to my family. And I, I do listen to true crime a lot since she died. And um, I subscribe to a lot of different um, YouTube channels. And um, it, it's just very interesting. And But it lets me know that I'm not the only one. Yeah. Uh, even though it, it doesn't take away my pain, but still there's others out there that's feeling the pain that I feel. Yeah. Sadly, there's, there's way too many of stories like Heather's and, and, uh, uh, a lot of families and parents and grandparents going through the, the kind of stuff you're going through. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was always so bubbly, always so giggly. And, um, she wanted everybody to have a good day. Um, she had her demons, don't get me wrong. Um, but she was in all a good person, had a good heart. She'd give you the shirt off her back. She um, always wanted to help somebody. And it's just sad that she didn't really get the chance because she always went after like the bad boy type guys, if you understand what I'm saying. And um, I... I don't know. It, it, it's just a horrible, horrible nightmare, even though this April she'll be gone three years and it's been three years of hell, if I can say that. Sure. And and we're going to get into the details about what happened, what we know. But can you tell us a bit about um, maybe Heather's life growing up and um, uh, m- maybe up until the time when she was killed? Um, well, like I said, I got her when she was two. Uh, she, her mother is my daughter, Terry, and, um, her dad, his, his name was Chris, Christopher Grigsby, which he recently passed last month. But, um, he walked out on Heather and her mom and her little brother when Heather was, um, she went one and a half, I think. And, um, and then after that, then my daughter, Terry, she went wild and wasn't taking good care of her kids. So then I got them. So anyway, um, she just grew up and she would call me mom and always call my husband dad. And I said, no, now, you know, your mom's Terry. I know. And I put her in um, a little academy for daycare. And they said that, um, they thought that she did it because of um, other kids always running my mom or dad or whatever. And so that every time she would say that, I'd always correct her. But then we moved from Somerset, Kentucky in 94 to Nicholasville, Kentucky. And she went to school, started school, going to school here. And and um, she didn't play any sports. She loved to sing. She loved to dance. And um, then she got to where she wasn't doing too good in school and went to um, alternative school here. And anyway, she ended up quitting and then she got her GED and then she was into dating. And like I said, she wanted to date the bad boys. And um, she was always searching because she didn't have a relationship with her dad. She talked to her mom some but she hadn't seen her dad since she was one and a half or one and a half years old. And, um, of course he lived in another state down in Alabama and we're here in Kentucky. And, 
But anyway, then she she was going to school, like I said, and then she dropped out. She got a GED. And um, she was taking classes at the, the college in Lexington, Kentucky. Well, then she ended up not doing that. She got with some guy, and it was just one guy, and then they would be abusive, and she'd get another abusive, and it just went on on like that. And um, she would talk to me and talk to me a lot. Like I said, we did have a, a, a good relationship, a close relationship to where I was always open. You can tell me anything. I won't get mad. I won't fuss at you, but we will talk about it. And she did. She she sat in here in, in my bedroom on the edge of the bed a lot, a lot of nights talking to me about different things. And um, she just got to where every... Every time she's seen anyone, if it was a female especially, she'd always say, good morning, beautiful, hello, beautiful, or whatever. She always wanted to make sure that female knew that she was beautiful. And she was always so nice to anybody. And But then she was a fighter, too. So, I mean, if you crossed her wrong or whatever, male or female, she would fight them. And... Um, I don't know. I, I, she was just the apple of my husband's eye. I mean, when then whenever he he passed away in 2010, and I think that really hit her hard. And then after that, it just seemed like she just went to Lexington, which is the next town over. She went to Lexington and she just started running with wild people and doing all kinds of stuff, including drugs. And um, every once in a while, she'd come home. I don't know if she'd come home to take a break or what, but she would come home. And then next thing you know, she'd be gone again. But other than the, the her going out and doing drugs, I mean, she wasn't a thief or nothing like that. And um, she, she was just a good person. She just had, I think, issues by her father leaving. And then Donnie, my husband, died. And I think she just had problems like yeah. that that problem, i look back now and think why didn't i get her some help or something yeah. and, and things like that the you know little things that you know looking back you can put your finger on the table she was missing her father in her life and then your husband who who was pretty much her father for most of her life he's gone um yeah it, it's those kind of things that i think you can you can look at and say they, they make a difference in, in someone's life and and perhaps in Heather's as well. Um, At at the time when Heather was killed, what was going on in her life at that point? Was she working? Was she going to school? What was she doing at that time? She was working at a uh, subway shop. It wasn't subway. It was um, something, something else. I can't remember the name of it in Lexington. And she would walk to work. She was living with her, a boyfriend and, um, she was walking backwards and forth to work, and um, uh, she called me on March the 26th, 2019, and um, she said, Grand, that's what she called me. She said, Grand. I said, what? She said, can you come and get me before her boyfriend, I'm not going to say his name, her boyfriend does something, she said, because he's already beat me with a dog chain. I said, uh, I'm, I said, where you at? I'm on my way. And by the time I got there, of course, he had left. 
I got hurt. Well, I called 911. And Officer Young, Lexington Police Department, he come out. Well, he called another officer after he took the report and everything. He called another officer, and um, they came out, and they took pictures of her bruises and whelps on her back and her face and chest and arms and everything. And um, then whenever that other officer left and we got in the car and that officer, he come over to the car and he said, Heather, he just, he just talked to Heather like a father would. And he told her that, you know, a lot of these situations don't turn out good. And um, so I brought her home and the whole week, she she was talking to the boyfriend and um on uh, april the 3rd 2019 i had already come to bed and she come in here and she said grand i said what she said that her boyfriend was going to meet her down the road and she was going back and i said why heather and i said the next time i said he could kill you and um she said but i love him anyway so that was on um april the 3rd and then on April the 26th, she was murdered. Um, and no one's seen nothing. No one knows nothing. Um, uh, the detective that's on the case don't hardly contact me. I've never met him face-to-face. I've asked to meet face-to-face. I don't have uh, not even a pair of socks that belong to Heather. All her clothes and everything the so-called boyfriend said he didn't have nothing. So mm-hmm. um, I guess everything was gave away, thrown away, or whatever. But I don't have, like I said, I don't, ha- I don't have anything that belonged to Heather. It's interesting. You hit the nail right on the head when you say the next time he may, you know, kill you. Um, yeah. Because a, a lot of times things start out and then they escalate in, in abusive relationships where it does end with someone being killed um, and, and unfortunately, the, a pattern is that the person seems to go back uh, with them. They think they'll change or they think they'll be a better person and that won't right. happen again. But um, what was it like when she did go back from with him? Did you hear from her after that, she, that he was treating her well? Or did, was there any more abuse that you know of? I don't know. Um, no. She went back on April the 3rd and... I don't know, for the next couple of weeks, I, I didn't hear a word. And then she sent me a message and she said, Grant, I'm, I'm doing okay. And um, that's, that's all I knew. Mm-hmm. And um, I hadn't talked to her or anything other than the message. And um, then, like I said, the, um, the coroner had called me on the 26th and asked me if I was Francis No. And I said, yes. She said, are you driving? And I said, no. She said, are you at home? I said, yeah. And she said, "Um, I hate to have to tell you over the telephone. So that's how I found out that Heather, she said, it's been on the news all day. I said, well, honey, I haven't even watched the news today. And anyway, we talked and um, the boyfriend wasn't arrested for the beating her with the dog chain until the day after Heather's funeral, which was May the 6th. So May the 7th is whenever I found out he was arrested finally. Hmm. And he bonded out. And then he went to court in July 
and they dismissed it and throwed it out of court because she was not here to testify against him. Yeah. And I, that's, I said, that's not fair. I told the prosecuting attorney, I said, because she, you got pictures, you have her written statement. That should be enough, but it wasn't. Yeah. And I guess that's one of the, the hiccups in the, the legal system is that if someone's not there to, to face her accuser, yeah. the, then they can't, they can't take what they have to say, unfortunately. And, you know, it seems like in this instance, this boyfriend got away with something that he shouldn't have gotten away with. Um, right. so, so you got this call out of the blue, uh, the coroner contacting you. Um, how soon was the first police interaction? How soon did they reach out to you? And, and start talking day, with you. Okay. That same day, the detective called me, and the uh, prosecuting attorney, the coroner, also called me, and the detective. And uh, they said, "Oh yes, he's a good detective. He'll have this solved." And da 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 da. Well, it's still not solved, and I've asked to meet with him face to face, which he never will. I have called him. He don't return calls. I send him emails. Have. 98% of the time, he does not return respond to my emails. So I called his boss. Well, then he contacted me. You know, it's not that I'm trying to get anybody in trouble. I'm not trying to be ugly. But if, if I ask you a question or I suggest anything, I mean, I gave him names of people that I don't remember now, but my daughter had gave me names of these people in Lexington that wasn't good people. And... um which my daughter, Heather's mom, and um, he still would not respond. I sent him a, a, a email before, it was before Christmas, might have been before Thanksgiving, and I said, well, I said, why don't Lexington take all these unsolved cases of Kentucky or also the missing cases that's unsolved in Kentucky? I said, and run their pictures on a digital billboard across the town or whatever. He didn't even respond, say, we can't do that, or that's not a good idea, or good idea. He, he just didn't respond. Well, I, I, you know, I've talked to people like yourselves that have lost someone, and, and the detectives that they're working with are very good, and they have a good relationship with them, and they communicate with them. But unfortunately, I talk to even more people that they don't get calls, they don't get emails returned. Um, and I, I really think that in a lot of these cases, the, the detective, the investigator that's working on the case has to know how to, to open up and have a, a line of communication with a family member, you know, even if it's just to say, Hey, uh, we're working on this. We're not going to give up. We're going to try different things, whatever it is, just to have, to be there to, to, for you in some kind of way. And it sounds like in your case, that's just not happening. Right. And uh, Kristen Flum, she's a news anchor at um, 56, Fox 56 News in Lexington, Kentucky. She's been out here and talked to me. She's run Heather's story uh, a few times. She's the only one that I can say that has really tried to help. And um, it, it's just been very disheartening. I mean, not only is a murderer walking free from killing two people, but he's seeing his, his family and friends and holidays and stuff 
Heather's not. Sure. Uh, Heather's birthday was December the 15th. And, you know, here's another birthday without her. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I should have, I should be gone before her. Yeah. Not trying to figure out who killed her, you know, uh, after her birthday. And, and again, you know, it's it's good that you have someone like Kristen Sloan you mentioned on your side to help you sort of yeah. go, go through the details since the police aren't willing to do it. And maybe maybe she would help you put some pressure, turn up the heat on the, the investigator to uh, light a fire under his butt to uh, help him, uh, you know, communicate with you to uh, do something, say something respond um because a lot of times it it takes something like shaming them uh, uh t- to get them to do anything so maybe she can put a little bit of pressure on him and and report that he's not responding to you um again i i'm a big law enforcement uh supporter but i i hate, i hate the uh the the fact that some some investigators are just not very good at their their communication skills uh and and I understand yeah. that sometimes they need to protect information. They can't share what they know, that kind of right. stuff. But to not return your emails, not give you a call, not to stop by and say, "Hey, I'm working on this. I'm not going to give up." Those are the things that are just not not for, forgivable. Right. Well, I mean, like I said, I live in Nicholasville, and this happened in Lexington, which is the next town. Which is you run out of Nicholasville straight into Lexington, and you know it's. I've been down to the police department in Lexington and um, I had to go down there to pick up a police report for it. And um, I paid for it and then they sent it to me in mail. And um, I've called and called and, and somebody that answers phones, um, they'll say, okay, let me put you through. And they'll put me through and then I get his voicemail and I leave a message and he won't call me back. Yeah. And I, I'm, I've asked to meet face-to-face with him, and like I said, he won't even do that. I I know that there's, he's probably busy. I know that there's other murders, murder cases in Lexington that's unsolved, and I know he's busy, but I feel like if a detective, after you've spent a year or two on something and you can't do it, maybe pass it off to fresher eyes or something. Maybe give it to somebody else, the case. I mean, I don't know how they do that. And maybe I much true crime but anyway i just feel like this and i mean put up the billboard let the state the county whatever pay for all these missing people in kentucky or pay for all these um uh murder victims that their family has no closure sure and i mean it and again and it takes i don't want to you know belittle you know stay on this point too long but it just it angers me when i when i hear this that the family member is not getting any kind of response. It takes 60 seconds to make a phone call or to send an email. It's not yeah. like he has to take an hour out of his day to come out to drive out to you and sit down with you in person and explain stuff to you. So what what he's doing is pretty much inexcusable. Um, so I hope something lights a fire under his butt and that he realizes that he, he should at least reach out to you and have some kind of, uh, y- you know, update or, or whatever. Just let's talk a little bit about what you've been able to gather about the the place where this happened, the crime scene that Heather and her and this man Shannon, her friend, were found in. Um it, it was a car, 
Am I correct yeah. in, in, in that it wasn't the, either of their vehicles and that it had no license plates on it? I'm not, I'm not sure because, see, I don't know that guy, Shannon. I, I, I don't know him. I've never met him, never heard his name until this happened. And and all I know is, for whatever reason, she was in the passenger side. He was the driver. And they were on the corner of Goodloe and Ray Street in Lexington, which is a bad neighborhood. But Heather, she knew a lot of the people over there. You know, she hung out over there a, a lot. And um, the only thing that I know, I know is that that's where she lost her life. I had the picture of the car that they were murdered in. And, um, I mean, it, it's a, it's a situation to where all you know is that they're gone, that they were murdered, but you don't have anything else. And, um, I just know that both of them were shot multiple times. And I know the police said that it wasn't a drug or alcohol related. Um, I know that on the news, the detective said that this was very personal and he has, uh, he, he just don't, you know, he don't tell me a whole lot, which I understand. And, um, he said that it was just very personal. And so I don't, that's all I know, but I do know that the neighborhood was, was not the very best of neighborhoods. So you don't know all the details about it. Um, were they able to, to find anything? You said there were no witnesses either, no one that reported seeing or hearing anything? Uh, people heard uh, all the gunfire, but no. everybody says nobody says they've seen anything, which um, this one lady had contacted me and said that um, she lived right there next to where Heather died. And she said that her and her boyfriend heard all the gunfire, they rolled out of the bed, they hit the floor. And then she heard this loud car speed off. But she said, I apologize. I was too scared to look out the window, which I probably would have been too. Sure. Uh, Human nature and, just to, to you hear shooting outside your house, you're you're jumping down on the floor. I, I, I don't blame her and I think that's understandable. Yes. Yes. I mean I I, I couldn't imagine. Anyway so a few days later, that girl, that girl said that her and her boyfriend moved. She said, but whenever we moved here, we were told, if you see anything, hear anything, keep your mouth shut, or you will be in danger. Oh, wow. So warned by someone on the street that might have, uh, you know, been responsible yeah. or, or, or had some role in it? Yes, and this was on the Lexington Police um, Facebook page where they were talking about another murder and I had, I had responded on that, made a comment. And then that girl, that's whenever she told me and she told me that's what she told me. Had Heather had ever talked to you about anyone that was dangerous or she was afraid of or anyone she was having problems with? No, the only person that she was in fear of was um, her boyfriend and this other guy. And, I don't know. I probably shouldn't say his name and which I told the detective and um, this other guy that was in jail here in Nicholasville, just I think it was last year was in the cell and he contacted my daughter and said that this guy knew who killed Heather. So I, right then I contacted the detective 
I gave him the name, where he was at, and everything. Well, he finally, I finally sent him another email a few days later. I said, well, did you talk to him? No, they're already out and released. Okay, look at, find his address. Go talk to him. <laughs> yeah, it's, just because he's not in jail doesn't mean you can't talk to him. Exactly. So that ended that. I mean. Wow. As far as you know, that person, they never talked to him or, or listened to what he had to say. Right. As far as I know. Now, as far as you know, was her boyfriend cooperative at all? Has he been talked to? Uh, the de- de- detective did tell me that he did talk to him, and he he denied it, and he believed him. Okay, and I, I mean, it makes sense that anytime someone's murdered, they're going to look at the people closest to them, and as they should, and and especially someone but, that's has a history of abuse, um, you know, they'd want to take an extra close look at him, but. Um, unfortunately just without anything to go on, it sounds like no witnesses or anything. And, uh, it sounds like it could be also the possibility of a random attack. And I wonder if it's possible that you don't know Shannon who was killed with her, but I, I wonder if maybe, you know, he could have been the, the target and Heather was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. I wonder if police have looked into that possibility. I, I don't know. Um, but the detective just told me that Heather was in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's exactly the words he said. So other than that, that's all I know. Wow. I know that, you know, it's like people ask me questions and I can't answer them because I have, you know, I, call, I even called the detective. I said, can you at least tell me how many times Heather was shot? And he wouldn't tell me. I said, well, uh, can you tell me what kind of gun was used? And um, I said, I've already seen the bullets were the um, on the crime scene in the in the newspaper. I said it had the little yellow markers in it for every shell casing. So I said, I already know. And he said, yeah, he said it was a nine millimeter. And that's it. Yeah. Just a very common caliber handgun. Uh, Yeah. uh, Unfortunately, a lot of criminals. We'll use them uh, so that that could make it tougher. Um, and I, you know, I wish I could say, where does the case stand right now? But it sounds like you don't even know because they're just not willing to talk to you, which again, I just keep circling back to is just, you know, shameful to not, not just send you an, an email response or a phone call. Take 60 seconds to, to, to call yeah. someone to send an email. I just, uh, it, that, that bothers me a lot. Um, and, and maybe again, working with the, a news reporter there, maybe the, they can write, uh, some things that can light a fire on his butt to at least do the right thing and, and reach out to you. Have you, have you yeah. asked, you know, you mentioned that his, the detective superior contacted you. Have you asked for a different detective, someone that's willing to at least talk to you no. or just update you or anything? No, because, I mean, I didn't know you could. Oh, this is just new to me. I, I, I'm lost of, of what to do, what not to do, or, you know, what I can say or not. Yeah, and I don't think there's any kind of manual about how to go about this kind of stuff or how you deal with it or what you're supposed to do. But um, and I don't know if it's even possible, but I would just, I, you know, I'd be the squeaky wheel getting the grease. I'd be the one going there saying, listen, I can't even get an email response. I can't even get a phone call from this detective. 
can you put me with someone that's going to at least answer an email or, or return a call and, and just let them know because maybe that supervisor will put someone else on the case or maybe put some pressure on this detective to at least acknowledge you. Um, and and I, again, I get that some detectives aren't, you know, their people, person skills aren't the best, but at least do some kind of response, you know, just to say, Hey, I got your email. I'm working on it. Uh, I'm sorry. It's not solved yet. Something, you know, again, I could type that up in 30 seconds and send that to you. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, there's no reason he can't. So it's just shameful. And I hope, somehow, some way that you're going to get someone that's more helpful to you or responsive to you. And, or at least if this, this detective comes to his senses and starts communicating with you, cause that's the, again, if they're doing their best and they can't catch someone that that's a killer, I understand that, but at least have the, the, the respect, the, the courtesy of contacting a murdered family uh, members, loved one that's reaching out to you. That's, just shameful that he can't do that. So um, I know you've been very active in, in spreading the word about Heather's case. You've done interviews. Are there any websites or social media pages set up where people can go to and learn more about, about the case or to provide information or anything like that? On um, Facebook, I have Justice for Heather Danielle Grigsby. I have that on Facebook. It has like 500 and something members. And it, it's basically just how it's got the clips, the interviews and everything from the different um, news networks and everything that comes on the TV or something. Then I, you know, I added on there and it's mostly got pictures of Heather and um, that's about, that's basically it. Hopefully people, if they want to learn more about her case or they have information they'll go to the, to your, your Facebook page and get in touch with you and maybe share what they have. And then you can right. pass, pass it along. And again, hopefully that you, if you pass it along, someone will actually respond to you and say, thanks, I got it. I'm going to check it out. But, um, right. you know, I'm not holding out much hope for that. Um, until an arrest comes until you can get justice for Heather, for whoever did this to her and her friend, What's a challenge? What are you looking uh, at or worried about going forward as far as, you know, going to court or having to face someone that did this? Is there anything you're you're nervous about or you're anxious about? No, that, I hope before I leave this world that I find out who murdered Heather and I want to see them in court. And I just want to ask them why, why? You know, she never bothered anybody. She never did anything to anyone that would want to hurt her or kill her. And, I mean, I can't say anything about the guy because I don't know him. And But, I no, I'm not scared. I want to face somebody in court before I leave this world. I don't care if I have to go in there in a wheelchair. Well, I hope that day comes for you. I hope there is an arrest made and you find out who did this and, and that that person is taken off the street so they can't take anyone else's family member from them. Um, right. hope that day comes for you. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me about Heather's case. And we'll be sure to, to share her story and, and hopefully send some people towards your Facebook page. And hopefully that leads to more information, leads, tips coming into you. Thank you once again for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. 
I'd like to thank Sonny Landon for writing and research assistance in this episode. As we wrap up, I'd like to play a preview for a true crime podcast. It's called True Crime Horror Story. Be sure to give it a listen. We'll be back here soon with an all-new episode of The Murder of My Family, and I hope you'll join me for it. But before you go, remember that every murder victim means something to somebody. I am your host, J.D. Horror, and this is True Crime Horror Story. A true crime podcast designed like an anthology horror movie. It's definitely not for the faint of heart and never played for laughs. Listener discretion is strongly advised. In seasons one through four, we highlighted both notorious and obscure incidents of real-life murder. From world-famous psychopaths like the Toolbox Killers and Jeffrey Dahmer, the lesser-known evils that you may not have heard of, but have effects just as catastrophic for the victims and their families. Season 5 is coming soon, so subscribe now wherever podcasts can be consumed, and check out our website at www.truecrimehorrorstory.com. True Crime Horror Story. Sometimes truth is more brutal than fiction. <laughs>